It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS for Instagram. Twitter.tv slash AJ Nick3. What's up? How's everybody doing out there? Hope your week's been going good on the program this Thursday. We got a Champions League semifinals. Second leg recap between Inter Milan and AC Milan and Man City and Real Madrid. So we recap those. We'll look ahead to the weekend soccer preview and then really the line share of the show, which will be our 105th PGA Championship preview. Oak Hill is the site for the Thursday through Sunday of the playing of this 105th championship of the PGA and the second major of the golf season already. So we'll do that. Then we'll do some NFL headlines and update on the Seneca playoffs and NBA playoffs, and then we'll get you out of here. So that is the rundown for this pod. Champions League semifinal second legs, weekend soccer preview, PGA championship preview in depth. You know we love these golf majors. You know I love these golf majors. Digging in, uh, giving you the storylines, talking about the courses and stuff. So full preview ahead after we do the soccer stuff. And then uh, we'll do golf, then NFL headlines, then NFL playoffs, NBA playoffs. All right. Kickoff, Champions League, semifinal, second legs, recap. Tuesday, we were in the San Siro. Wednesday, we were in Manchester, England. And we will have a Inter Milan, Man City final in Istanbul on June 10th. Because Inter Milan, coming into this second leg against AC Milan, we're up 2-0 from the first leg. They win the second leg 1-0. Latoro Martinez, second half goal was the difference on the night. It really wasn't necessary because... Inter didn't concede. Inter didn't concede to AC Milan over 120-plus minutes there. So to recap this one, AC Milan technically had the first chance in the match with a Teo Hernandez long-range shot that just went high. It was brilliantly struck. I thought he almost nailed it. Um, Then they actually get the second chance in the match, too, and it was a big one. And it really could have turned the tide because we had talked about on Tuesday's show if AC Milan scored first, it's game on because... Once you get one, the second one comes much easier. We've seen that happen a bunch of times in this sport. You know, stoppage time, a team chasing the game. They get the first one. They get the second one. They level the match, right? So this Diaz chance, they're going to rue this because we talked about last week and on Tuesday's show the three big AC Milan chances in the second half that they did not take. And in the first half here, yes, the Teo chance, I mean, come on. That would be a world that you don't expect him to score that. But the driving run, Barella gets challenged from Teo. No call. Play goes on. Tenali, great driving run up the left side. Brilliant cutback ball to Brahimi Diaz, who's just a little past the penalty spot and does not get a good shot. Does not get a clean contact. And it's really an easy save for Onana. He was not really tested in that moment. And right there, if... Diaz does put it in. It's early enough that the game is on. And it's not only on to just tie it in four extra time, but you could score three theoretically. So that was a big save by Onana, even though it was not that much. Now, again, another Milan chance. And Rafael Leao, who was not present in the first leg, 
in this second leg. Same 11 for Inter, by the way. Layout on the run, gets his chance, fires it wide. So, right away, one, two, three chances for AC Milan. And they can't get back into it. And very luckily, Mannion made a great save because on an Inter free kick, flick on header from Zeko, it hits Mannion in the face. I mean, he almost knew nothing about this flick on header. Uh, it struck him in the face. A brilliant save, nevertheless. Um, and then for Inter, here they come with their chances. Second phase of an Inter corner, Martinez shot just goes high. He did a brilliant job of uh, showing some composure because I think it was Mike Grella who made the point on the broadcast. So it was just like, how many strikers do you see just thrash at the ball, take a stab at it, and send it into the second deck? But Martinez waited, fake, took a bounce even. So it was a brilliant job by Lark. Toro Martinez. Um, but a shot goes high. Mkhitaryan gets a knock. Brozovic comes on. That'll be big. to, And hopefully Mkhitaryan will be fit for a final, obviously. So Brozovic on. Second half. Cross-headed and knocked down by Leao. But Messias can't reach it at the back post. Another Milan chance goes begging. And then Inter put the game away. Martinez to Lukaku, who got subbed on. Back to Martinez. He squeezes it through Mannion and his near post. 1-0, Inter on the night, 3-0 on aggregate, and that was all she wrote. Inter had both feet and Istanbul at that point. Uh, Teo set piece, Giroud header was off target. Martinez had a shot saved by Mannion. Mannion kind of just pawed at it. It was a really good save. And then he had a really great save on Lukaku. So it could have been much worse for AC Milan. They don't score a goal over 120-plus minutes against their rival in their home stadium. And obviously it's a way stadium for the second leg, fine, whatever. But... A disappointing showing from AC Milan. Has to be. And I think that first leg, they don't have layout and they don't take their chances. And that's really the story of the tie. Because if they take one of those chances and let's say Diaz does score, it's 2-2. Game on with 80 minutes to play on the night and possibly another 30, right? So AC Milan, the story of this tie for AC Milan did not take their chances. Inter did. Inter... Their goals, they had the set piece with Zeko when he wrapped his foot around it. The second goal was uh, a takeaway and then a nice little uh, inseam ball to um, Mkhitaryan. So, and then this third goal is against the, I don't want to say against the run of play necessarily, but it seems to be on the counterattack. And Lalau, who is Lukaku and Latoro, those two strikers who... One enter the Scudetto a few seasons ago, they reconnect, and boy, would it be great for Lukaku to find his form permanently until the final in these last few legs of matches for Syria. So, Inter move on to Istanbul. Sixth time they're in a final. First time since lifting their third European Cup in the 09-10 season with the special one Mourinho at the helm. First time Inter have progressed from an all Milan knockout tie in the competition. AC Milan had had their number. They had beaten them uh, in the times they had played in the knockout. And now Inter get a big one. And they're on their way to Istanbul in the final where they will take on Man City, who faced Real Madrid on Wednesday at the Etihad. It was 1-1 from the first leg, so it was all to play for. And City absolutely dominated. Uh, this was not a Real Madrid performance that they will write the books about. This is not a Real Madrid performance that you will look back on on the history of Los Blancos, the Madristas, and say, remember that night at the Etsy had when they turned? No, this was a utter 
dominating effort by Pep Guardiola's Man City side. And again, we talked about the Man City failures in this competition. Time and time again, Pep Guardiola would overthink and play a new formation or play a new style or system or insert a player where they had not played before. And he did it before he got to these stages of the, of the t- competition and the stages of the Prem where he's got to win all the games out to force Arsenal out of the uh, title-holding spot in the Prem. So the knock on Pep in these big moments has been that he's overthought him. He did all the overthinking before these ties. Really did an unbelievable job. So Madrid, terrible, but you got to give credit to City. They were all over him. They were all over him. This stat here, in the first 15 minutes of the match, on Wednesday, Real Madrid completed a total of 13 passes. City completed 124. Just think about that. The great Real Madrid, they are the holders of this competition. And it's basically the same team. And they were trounced and embarrassed by Man City, who went on the night 4-0. And on aggregate, go through 5-1. 5-1 it now says on aggregate. Wow. So let's get into the breakdown of this one. De Bruyne put Holland in. He rounded Kachwa, but he couldn't shoot. City end up winning it back, but the attack ends with a Rodri shot from inside the box just going wide. Then a Grealish cross. Holland header is point blank. I don't know how he doesn't score. Kachwa makes a save kind of off his thigh, and it gets cleared off the line by Alaba. I, I have no clue how this does not go in. No clue how Kachwa made this save. And at this point, you're thinking, is Kachwa just going to lead them to the final? Kind of like what he did against Liverpool in the final last year where he just put Real Madrid on his back, made double-digit saves, and gave them the opportunity to keep the clean sheet to only need the one goal that Vinicius ends up getting. So that was one point-blank save, right? Then they do a little short corner routine, Back to De Bruyne, cross at the back post. Akanji heads it towards Holland. Another point-blank save by Kachwa. So this is two in this moment on Holland, who's the best striker in the world right now. No doubt about it. We know that with his goal um, tally and the way he can score and his just physicality and his nature. He's outstanding in the area, and especially on these set pieces or balls in when he can just claim them with his forehead, right? That's two. So at this point, I was already thinking, oh my God, he's going to do it. Kachwa's going to do it. They have no right being in this game. It should be 2-0. These are ridiculous saves. But that didn't last long because City set it up on the near side, left to right, and Real Madrid get lost in the confusion of who's making runs and who's not making runs and who's responsible for who, Okay. Because you see Militao actually motion to Alaba to tuck back more inside. And that gives Bernardo Silva so much space to operate in in the area because De Bruyne finds him. Bernardo Silva turns and says, oh my God, there's no one around me. Easily beats Kachwa. Kachwa has no chance here. As much as he didn't have a chance on the two-point blanks that he ended up making those two saves, he didn't have a chance here. He didn't have a chance here. And it's not his fault. So just like that, 1-0. City on the evening. 2-1 on aggregate. Madrid were all out of position. Next city attack, Holland has a shot go high. Then Real have some of the ball. They get 
Vinicius on the run, but he gets caught by Kyle Walker. They get a through ball in for Benzema, but Ederson comes and claims it. And then, really, uh, a moment in the tie that could have thrown Madrid back in when they didn't deserve it, Tony Cruz bombs one off the crossbar. And it was actually Ederson who did get a piece. It should have been a corner. It wasn't. But Cruz, so much time to wind up that boot. And he struck it really well. And Ederson got just the tiniest, tiniest piece that he did need to get to send it off the bar. So three good interplay sequences for Madrid. I understand Vinicius gets caught by Walker, so you don't get a chance there. And they send the ball, the through ball in for Benzema, and Ederson comes and gets it. But then the Cruz shot off the crossbar. You're thinking, okay, we're back in this thing. We just need to get a goal. But going the other way. Next city phase of attack. Grealish is walking in. Great ball for Gundogan. His shot gets blocked. It goes right to Bernardo Silva near the penalty spot. Header into the empty net for the rebound goal. City 2-0 on the night. 3-1 on aggregate. And that was pretty much all she wrote. That was the end of the action, really, in the first half. City did have some opportunities to make a three, but nothing really concrete. We go to the second half. And again, a Real Madrid moment that... If it goes in here with David Alba on this free kick that he has a great strike on and Ederson makes a great save on, if that goes in, you're only down one goal with plenty of time left, right? Unfortunately for Real Madrid, Ederson makes a really, really strong save. Holland has another chance in tight. Cachois robbed him. Hat trick of saves on Holland. He knocked that up onto the crossbar. Then City get a third. Set piece from De Bruyne. Akanji gets a piece going by, but Militao gets the last flick in. It's an own goal in the book. Man City up 3-0. Ceballos had a good chance for Real Madrid after coming on, but Ederson made a really good save. And then in stoppage time, Julian Alvarez had come on for Holland, and Alvarez gets his goal after uh, City forced a turnover. Mares good ball in. Foden involved in the build-up as well, if I'm not mistaken. So 4-0 on the night. 5-1 on aggregate. Man City are going to the final in Istanbul. Man City, Inter Milan, in Istanbul, June 10th. City will have their chance to claim the trophy. They've been missing. And if all goes according to plan, it could be for a treble. Premier League, FA Cup, and Champions League. It has not been done since Man United in England with an FA Cup, a Premier League title, and a Champions League title. So Man City... Already needing just, what, one or two results to go their way here in the Prem to clinch it with a few games left, a couple games left. Have that. They have the FA Cup final on their calendar against their city rivals, which would be a awesome game. A day out for Manchester and Wembley. Out, that would be outstanding. As for Inter in the Champions League final, they're the obvious underdogs. Man City have this titanic team. They've brought in Holland. They have one of the greatest managers of all time. This is the trophy they're missing, the trophy they've been going for and been gung-ho on since Pep has come into the mix in the Etihad. So Inter are going to be big underdogs, but they have a great team. They have a great system. They play a great style of football for Ngazi. Lukaku, either in the lineup or off the bench, is a factor. Barella is a world-class midfielder, so they have a strong back three. Their wingbacks are really talented, so it's going to be a proper final, in my opinion. This isn't like 3-0 City 
write it up, give them the trophy. All right, no, Inter's going to come play. They have a strong shot-stopping keeper. They have three strong center backs. They have two wing backs. They have a strong little midfield three that they have four guys for, really. And then they got a couple strikers for a three, a few strikers for a couple spots. So it's going to be competitive in her, and it's going to be a, a matchup that I'm looking forward to. I cannot wait to break that one down um, in a few weeks' time now. So that is the final. Man City Inter, June 10th. The week before, it'll be Man City and Manchester United at Wembley for the FA Cup final. And then the week prior is Championship Sunday. So two weekends left in the Prem here in league football, and then we have some cup finals, and then we have the cup final on the 10th of June. So get ready for that one. All right. Weekend soccer preview. Newcastle, Brighton. Two teams making up a game here. And if Newcastle get a win, that should really, you would think, put them in the Champions League. They need to stumble here uh, for the hopes of Liverpool, for the hopes of even Brighton, right, um, to fall from grace of that top four position for Newcastle. Um, but it's at St. James Park. We know Brighton have been very, very special. I, I think both teams have a lot of attacking players, but I really wouldn't be shocked because Brighton have a game Sunday and Newcastle have a game Monday that we get a kind of cagey first goal changes the game entirely type feel. I think we get a... Um, a match that is a really, really exciting one because of how few chances there might be. Newcastle is a very strong defense. It's been their calling card. Yes, we know about Isak and Almiron and St. Maximin and Callum Wilson and all those guys going the other way and scoring goals. Absolutely. But the strong part of Eddie Howe's team has really been from his defense forward, um, and especially with the shot stopper Nick Pope. Now, Brighton have had a really interesting season. Deserby comes in after Potter leaves for Chelsea. Um, they sold Basuma. They sold Cucarella. They they moved on from a lot of guys. Uh, Caicedo was a distraction in January after the World Cup. Everyone's coming for him and McAllister, and they're like, we're not selling these guys. Like, we're not doing it yet. We'll do it in the summer. We're not doing it yet. We have a really good team right now. And they have an opportunity to still get into the top four. They went out and things go their way. They're in. So it's a big match. I think it'll be cagey. For me, it might be a 1-0 kind of match. I really do believe that. Even though the matches at the end of the season get crazy with teams pushing it and going for goals and stuff like that, I really think this could be a 1-0. I think so. Tottenham-Brentford. The big news here that I haven't seen a ton of uh, reaction. Apparently, Ivan Tony is suspended for eight months. The Brentford striker uh, dealing with FA gambling uh, concerns and betting concerns. So... I mean, this story, I feel like, should be everywhere, but it's not. So, Ivan Tony, the front man, the talisman for Brentford, it looks like they will be without him for some time now. Tottenham at home. Um, what's to say about Tottenham? Another manager going to come in. Uh, we know that, unless Ryan Mason gets the job, which I don't think it would be a good move. But it will be another manager for Tottenham. It will not be the players that get the blame again. I they're just not good enough. You know, and I'm not trying to knock a humming son or Harry Kane. They're great players, but their back line is clearly clearly not good enough. Uh, their midfield is clearly not good enough. And because of that, it doesn't matter how good your attack is. If 
your defense and midfield suck. Like what? Are, you're not going to get service. You're not going to get those opportunities. And I think that's also part of the way Tottenham plays to begin with because they are such a counterattacking team and they want to get on the break and stuff like that and suck in the pressure. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're bad. Bring it on. So I don't know. But if Bre if Tony was in the match, I'd love Brentford here. But a London Derby, Tottenham, come out and get three points, man. Uh, really simple. Liverpool and Villa, last home game for Bobby Firmino, James Milner, Alex Oslake Chamberlain, and Navi Keita. I'm not sure about the up the uh, fitness level for Keita and Ox ahead of this one, but we know Bobby Firmino's trying to get fit for an Anfield send-off, and Millie's, we know, is fit. He's one of the most fit players in the world. So that's the story with Liverpool. They have to continue to win to put the pressure on Newcastle and Manchester United that if they do drop points, it is worth it for Liverpool. They do uh, take advantage of the situation that has played out in front of them with some teams like Newcastle, like Man United, dropping some points recently in Liverpool on the ascendancy, winning games on the spit, right? So Villa, very strong team. They've been excellent at home. Can they take it to Anfield? Emery has had nightmares of Anfield, whether that's um, in his time in Spain, whether that's his time at Arsenal. He has not had great Anfield moments, uh, to my recollection. So I'll say this. I think Villa comes to Liverpool with a plan, but this Liverpool side has been really, really, really changed since Trent Alexander-Arnold has had this more offensive role in the midfield when Liverpool have the ball. So... For me, Villa with a Douglas Louise, with a Ramsey, a Buendia, like, yes, they have a bunch of guys either in their midfield or their attack that can be difference makers. Ollie Watkins, of course. Um, they got a lot of good players. But I think this Liverpool team understands that if they went out, they can take it to the final day and maybe the final minute and something could happen their way. So, obviously, I'll take Liverpool. Bournemouth, Man U. Bournemouth obviously safely up can maybe get one of their best finishes in the Prem if I'm not mistaken man you have not been a good side away from Old Trafford and this is the opportunity for a Liverpool fan to say hey maybe this is the time where man you do drop points to a um, a Bournemouth side that's hungry that can get a big win to end their season um, and, and a win that they'll not they won't forget you know the day we beat man you at the vitality but it certainly will be difficult for sure Fulham, Crystal Palace, two safe teams here. Mitrovic back from suspension. I expect him to have a nice little uh, flourish to end the season because he's been missed for so many games now. Crystal Palace have been fun. Hodgson since coming in, I, I really feel bad for Vieira because I, I don't think what they did to him was right um, with that sacking. I don't think that was fair. But Crystal Palace have been very strong, very strong since uh, Hodgson's come in. Wolves, Everton, Wolves safe. Everton fighting for their lives. Um, they'll need a result at the Montelieu to really keep them in the prep. Um, the results are getting bigger and bigger when you get one at the bottom of the table there. Forrest and Arsenal at the city ground. Arsenal have, what, nothing really to play for. It's not like it's done and dusted for uh, City to be champions, but it would take an absolutely epic collapse of collapses for City now to... Um, not become champions. So, Arsenal, again, unfortunate for them. They had so much to play for for so many weeks of the season and then got caught with the three draws and then the loss to Man City. So, um, 
I don't know what their motivation level is. I know Arteta's a strong manager and he won't take um, malaise from anybody kind of a thing. But Forrest need the points more. And Hungry Dogs run faster. And at the city ground, it's going to be a big, big atmosphere. They know they need it to stay up in the Prem. So they got to fight for a result. West Ham leads. Leads another team fighting for it. West Ham are safe. Um, does that mean they get a... Uh, not a up-to-snuff David Moyes performance at the London Stadium, possibly, and Leeds could jump on that. Um, another manager, Jesse Marshall Leeds, I think shouldn't have been sacked, but what are you going to do? Brighton-Southampton. Brighton, this will be their second game in, what, four days there, uh, Thursday and Sunday. These mid-table teams that eventually fight for Europe and then get in, they're not really used to playing two times in four days. They're not really used to rotating their sides, whereas a a Liverpool, a Man City, a Chelsea even, not to the, the season, but they've had a ton of success recently where they've been playing at the weekend, in the midweek, at the weekend, in the midweek for years on years on years, right? So it's different for teams that don't do that often, and Brighton has not. Now Southampton is down. They're going down. They will finish 20th. They're relegated, so it's not like they're getting a battle from a Southampton side that's fighting for their lives. They're not, so... At the uh, Amex, should be easy work for Brighton. Man City, Chelsea. Does Chelsea, does Chelsea have anything in them, really down the stretch of the season, to say, hey, I'm here, I want to fight for Stanford Bridge, I want to fight for the Chelsea supporters, I want to fight for the shirt. There hasn't been a lot of performances like that, specifically in the new year, in the calendar year, for sure. So, I mean, City coming off, thrashing Madrid in the midweek will be a chopped and changed side for Pep um, but he still should have more than enough and then we got Monday Newcastle Leicester City Newcastle fighting top four Leicester City fighting for their lives um, and again though both these games are home for Newcastle that's the really only thing they got going for them um, because Brighton come in and want to have a really strong finish of the season and Leicester are fighting for their lives so they're going to get Big efforts from those teams, in my opinion. So, all right. La Liga, Barcelona, La Liga champs take on Real Sociedad. Atletico play Osuna. Valencia play Real. Syria, Atalanta, Hellas, Verona. AC Milan, Sampdoria. Napoli, the champions, take on Inter. Udinese, Lazio. Roma, San Martino, Calcio, and Empoli, Juve. Juve somehow are in a Champions League spot, even though they got deducted the 15 points, got the 15 points back, and apparently are going to receive another punishment. So who the hell knows what's going on in Italy. Bundesliga, Hoffenheim, Uni Berlin, Bayern, Rebel, Leipzig, Augsburg, Dortmund. Again, Bayern only up one point in the Bundesliga on Dortmund. And Ligun, Augier, host PSG. I think that's how you say that. A-U-X-E-R-R-E, Augier. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know French. Sorry. All right, let's get into our PGA Championship preview, the 105th PGA Championship, the second major of the season already. Last five winners of this major championship last year at Southern Hills, JT got into a playoff at five under where he beat Will Zalatoris after Mito Pereira blew it on the 72nd. 2001, Phil and Kiowa, six under over Kepka and Louis Oosthuizen. 2020 was Colin Morikawa, TPC Harden Park, the drive on the back there to set up the Eagle, 13 under by three over DJ and Paul Casey. And then 19, 18, 19 Brooks by eight 
or Brooks by two, minus eight over DJ at Bethpage Black, and then 2018 Brooks, 16 under by two over Tiger Woods at Bell Reeve outside of where St. Louis there, right? Oak Hill now. The course outside Rochester, New York, Donald Ross in 1924. Uh, one of the f only five places to host a U.S. Open, PGA Championship, USM, and a Ryder Cup. Now, we're going to get to the history with previous majors in a second, but there was a redesign in 1970 by Fazio and I believe Robert Trent Jones Jr., if I'm not mistaken, and people were pissed. Lee Trevino was pissed. Jack Nichols was pissed. Um, they were not happy about the redesign, and as the years went on, a lot of um, changes went away from the Donald Ross styling of the design, and in 2019, they had a restoration. They brought in a gentleman named Andrew Green who peeled back a bunch of trees, reshaped the bunkers, and brought it back to a kind of traditional Donald Ross design and style of golf course. So the history at Oak Hill, previous majors held. In 1956, it was the U.S. Open. Uh, Middlecoff shot one over. He beat Ben Hogan and Boros uh, by one shot. 1968, another U.S. Open. Lee Torino, five under by four over Jack. He set the U.S. record open. He had four rounds in the 60s. Four rounds in the 60s. Uh, 1980, it was a PGA Championship. Jack Nicholas six under by seven over Andy Bean. In 89, he came back to U.S. Open. Curtis Strange, uh, I think that was his second of the back-to-back, -back, right? He went 88-89, if I'm not mistaken. Curtis Strange shot two under by one over three other players in 89. And it did not return until a 2003 PGA Championship. Uh, Sean McCall four under by two over Chad Campbell. And then 2013 PGA Championship, Jason Duffner got his major. Shot 10 under one by two over Furyk. Duff shot the course record 63 in the second round of that PGA Championship. So haven't had the U.S. Open since 89, and we had a PGA there 10 years ago, won by Jason Duffner, who unfortunately had to withdraw, if I'm not mistaken, um, from this tournament. So the weather, it's been a little chilly in Rochester, New York in May, which makes a ton of sense if you're from up there or visited anybody in upstate New York. It's not a very temperate climate until we get into the June months there. June to, June to like September is really nice in New York, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, a little chilly. Guys had some beanies on on Wednesday, uh, but hopefully it gets a little warmer. Thursday, high of 62, low of 53, mostly sunny. The wind is 9 miles per hour over the east-southeast. Friday warms up a little bit more, 77 high, 55 low, partly cloudy, low chance of rain. Uh, wind picks up to 15 miles an hour south by southwest, so a little bit of a wind shift. Then the wind is straight southwest on Saturday at 13 miles an hour, and the high is 65, the low is 49, but what you got to worry about on Saturday is the rain. 70% chance of rain on Saturday. Most likely going to have place stop. Going to be maybe a similar finish to what we had at Augusta a little earlier in the year with a marathon Sunday. Uh, and that Sunday... High of 70, low of 44, mostly sunny, low chance of rain, and the wind straight out of the west at that point, 12 miles per hour. So that's the weather update. How about the course? In 2013, it played 71, 63 yards. This year is going to play 73, 94. So an addition of another, what, 200-plus yards there. Par 70 in this restoration from Mr. Green, 
lots of trees removed. He said he got asked about the trees. He said the right amount we removed. Um, and the story here is very interesting because Oak Hill has a great, great history. If you're not familiar with it, go watch a couple YouTube videos that I watch. But they had a member that asked for tree seeds from everywhere across the country. And then he just decided to start planting trees across the whole property. And apparently, he said he lost track after 30,000 trees planted. So, you know, you plant a tree, it looks great for the short term. And it looks great for, you know, maybe a little bit after the short term. But, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later... These trees have grown and the canopies have doubled and tripled. And, and you're looking at trees that are in the way. They're not just part of the whole or a, um, a, a an, an area where you got to avoid the tree-lined fairways. No, it's too many trees. you got to pull them up. So they pull a bunch of them up. And we got a lot of trees removed, which helps out a lot, the views of the golf course. We got deep rough. Not shocking for a... U.S. Open or a PGA Championship because at the Masters or the Open, you don't really get a ton of rough. The Open is really fescue-ish, so the only thing you worry about at the Masters, it's the second cut. It just looks a little longer than the fairway, right? But at a U.S. Open, at a PGA Championship, that's when you get the videos of the guys dropping golf balls and being like, here we go, you know. Um, so the rough almost looks to be a shot, shot and a half penalty in some areas. The bunkers could be a shot shot and a half penalty a lot of the bunker stylings come from scotland in the sense of the depth of them where they're positioned how the lip is you might have to play you might have to play sideways or take a wedge from 190 a fairway bunker where you're you're trying to make par now all of a sudden instead of you know giving yourself a chance so we got a lot of tight fairways we got a lot of turns in the fairways covered by bunkers the creek goes through about four or five holes and just intersects at certain points, either your first shot or your second shot or uh, a bunch of different holes with the creek, Allen Creek uh, becoming a factor there. A lot of forced carries off tees, a lot of squared and a bunch of elevated greens. It'll play firm and fast, as we know. Four par threes at three, five, 11, and 15. We'll go through each hole after this. Two par fives, four and 13, and then we have four. Four par fours over 480 yards. And a couple of them that are traditionally par fives for the members that play par fours on uh, major championship weekends. So, and major championship weeks, I guess you could say. So, uh, that is some of the course. Let's go hole by hole here. The first is a par four. A bunch of trees removed. A lot of new bunkers on the left. Allen Creek cuts the fairway off. A mounded green you're dealing with at one. Two is a tight par four. Fairway cut in by bunkers. It's a partially blind green on that second shot. They made the green bigger in 2019. That gives them the ability to have some more hole locations and make it a uh, very interesting hole. Now, the part three-third, it's a long, long, long tee shot to an elevated green. It's got a diagonal ridge kind of cutting across it. That is a very difficult par three um, and not a reprieve at all from what you've started with. The fourth, one of the only par, only two par fives on the course, downhill tee shot. It's the stretch of the flat holes here. Uh, the next five are kind of like flattish. 
This one sweeps right bunker at the kind of dog leg. It's a birdie hole if you play it well. Um, and it can be dangerous, a big number, if you get out of position for sure. The fifth is a par three. It's a replica of the old sixth hole from the 60s before Fazio came in. Four deep bunkers, new double plateau, green, three sections. It's a, a brand new hole, basically, um, in this championship. Now, the sixth is the old fifth. So that's a par four, one of the better par fours on the property, they say. Um, the old fifth, now the sixth. Yes, an all-time hole. Long tee shot needed. There's a bunker left. This is another one where Allen Creek cuts right through the fairway. And we got a new large green at the six. The seventh par four, you need an accurate tee shot here. Another narrow fairway. Another hole where Allen Creek um, is on the right. It cuts across right to left. And you need to be below the hole on this green. But a false front hurts that for front hole locations. That's for sure. Eighth, par four. Bunkers in range on drives. Deep, narrow green protected by a bunch of bunkers at the green complex. You go to the ninth. Par four. This is not the flat holes anymore. Okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. Dog leg, uphill hole, elevated green, kind of uphill from the second shot all the way to the green there. Um, and that's your end of the first nine. Ten, par four, shorter version of one. Again, a downhill tee shot. And again, the creek intersects the fairway. The 11th, par three, a ton of trees removed. Downhill tee shot, bunkers surrounding the green. Going to be a very interesting par three. Possibly a two on that would make you feel really good. Twelfth, par four, downhill tee shot, bunker on the right, tilted fairway into an of elevated green. So you're downhill off the tee and uphill on the second shot to that elevated green. Thirteen, monster par five. Um, nearly impossible to hit in two. Again, Allen Creek a factor in this hole with another intersection of the fairway. The green is in a cool setting. Amphitheater kind of uh, uh, scenario with mounds to the left and a sunken green with a bunch of big area for the fans to watch there. Um, so that's a very interesting hole. 14, par four, was tree-lined. Bunch of them removed. Now it's kind of a short uphill tee shot into another elevated green, but it's drivable for some. Bunkers in the front and very little room behind the green if you go long. So 14 is going to be a really interesting hole, specifically at the weekend and on Sunday when are you going to see somebody pull driver in a big spot there and try to land it on the green or just hit it as far as they can, try to get up and down for three and go to the next hole. Um, 14 is going to be a really, really interesting hole to watch. And that kind of, you know, 15 kind of starts that stretch, or sorry, 13 kind of starts that stretch of the last um, six holes there. Uh, so that's going to be very, very exciting. So 13, 14, into 15 now. Par 3, altered in the 70s. Now it's changed more to the Ross liking. Uh, new postage stamp type green chipping area on the right. Bunker guarding the front. The chipping area on the right is like sunken in because it used to be a pond that Fazio put in. They were like, You're, don't do this. Jack was very pissed about that. 16. And 17 and 18 are all par 4. So par 4 is coming in after that par 3, 15th. So this little tough stretch of par 4s starts on 16. Slightly downhill fairway into an open green. It kind of tilts right to left. You're going to be need to be in the right area to attack that green if you're going to need a birdie. 17, par 4. 
usually a par five. Uh, long drive, you got to reach the crest of the fairway before the hole turns right. Long iron in. There's humps and bumps on the right side of that green, so if you miss right, you're going to have a weird stance. You might have the ball way above your feet, way below your feet, and you might be on a knee. The humps and bumps over there are going to be really, really interesting for some tricky lies on 17. And then 18, par 4, bunkers on the right side of the fairway. Hole eventually turns right, and then another elevated green that you kind of got to get to. So a bunch of elevated greens, a bunch of force carries, a lot of undulation changing after the flat holes of the front section. Um, some new holes, some holes that the pros haven't played before in competition. So it's a course that's set up to be difficult. You're not going to have somebody posting like 20 under after four rounds. I just don't see that happening the way the course is set up with how tough it's going to play, in my opinion. I think anywhere the winner is somewhere from like uh, 6 to 11 under. In my opinion, I don't think we're going to get a lot of low scoring here. I think we're going to get a respectable tournament. I don't think we see a, a minus 18 or a, a minus 16 or a minus 13. I really think we see what we got in 2022 or 2021 or, or 2019 where we get something, you know, 5 to 11 range. The winning score, in my opinion, from the course. All right. Storyline times. No Tiger Woods. Unfortunate. The buzz isn't as buzzy. It isn't as palpable without Tiger Woods at the major. It's unfortunate, but he's got to get better. He's got to get better. So we go from Tiger to Rory. Rory is not really playing well, but he's been in the mix at majors. A disappointing Masters. Last season, he was so close to getting another major championship. Can he flip the switch for a PGA championship and say, hey, I've won Wanamaker's. I can win this, and... This is a golf course that I'm not going to say plays similarly to Quail Hollow because it's two different kind of styles there, one in the south and one in the north. But tree-lined, tough greens, Rory can win here. Rory can absolutely win here. So Rory, I expect to be in the mix. Scotty Scheffler looking for his second major. Not his best, he'll tell you, at Augusta defending. He's going to want to uh, get his second as soon as possible. And this is absolutely an opportunity for him because he is a very solid driver of the golf ball. He can be accurate off the tee. He can consistently hit greens and have a good enough short game and putter stroke that he's in the mix. So Scotty Shuffler, I expect if he has his A or B game, he will be a factor in the championship. John Rump, back to number one. Coming off that second major at Augusta National, when John Rahm is at his best, are there people that can beat him? I'm not sure. We haven't seen the Rory A game for four days in a major championship. We haven't. We have not seen that. I think John Rahm's A game for four days beats everybody right now. If I were to say one other name, it would be Rory. But Rory has not had his A game for four days. So it is a... Very interesting position for John Rom because he is the number one player in the world. He's coming off his second major. He's the most recent major champion. An outstanding player. A guy that can drive the ball very consistently, very solidly. Good iron player. And we know he gets very hot with that putter. And the hole looks 
gigantic to him sometimes on greens. So John Rama factor. JT defending from Southern Hills. Looking for his third major, his third Wanamaker. Um, you thought that last year JT had put it together. He nearly blew it. He needed an all-time comeback on that Sunday. Um, but he did get that second major. Bones on the bag is a big thing here. I expect JT to be a factor. Spieth going for the career grand slam. Hurt wrist, but he's out there. This just doesn't, as much as I love Jordan Spieth, and I'll bet him to win, and I'll bet him top five because he can't win a major, and I won't. I, I, if he wins a major, I will win a wager on him because I will just bet him. I'm not going to have him win a major and me not win. That's my point there. I just don't love the course setup for Jordan here. This isn't necessarily, like, Jordan is a guy that can win at Augusta. He's a guy that can win Open Championships. U.S. Opens have to set up for him, as do PGA Championships, in my opinion. I don't know if this is a Jordan Speed setup. A little too tight off the tee. We know he can make bomb putts. Can he do it consistently over four days? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Morikawa, great iron player. Driver is going to need to be accurate enough, and the putter has to be hot. Morikawa can absolutely get his second Wanamaker here, his third major, but his putter has to be hot. His driver has to give him opportunities to hit good iron shots because we know how special of an iron player he is, but he's got to be in the fairway to hit those good iron shots. So that's the deal with Colin Morikawa. Fitzpatrick, Matty Fitz, looking for his second major. I'll tell you what, folks, he's an interesting player for me in this tournament. I think he is a dark horse. I think he could be a factor. Does he hit it 340? No. Does he hit his gap wedge 160? No. But I'll tell you what. He's accurate off the tee. He's typically long enough. He's very um, decisive and deliberate with what he's doing out there. I love the caddy that he's got. A lot of experience there in Billy is caddy. And then around the green, very solid, even though that uh, switched-up chip grip is a little worrying, but it's solid enough. And he rolls the rock really well. Fitz is a factor here. Xander Shoffley, the gold medalist, but is it time for a major for Xander? He's competed. He's been in the mix. But unfortunately for him, he's just not had the big stretch of holes to put himself into first place on a Sunday. He has the game. This is a place that I can see him winning. I believe he will be a factor. How about the guys that can break through? Homa, Cantley, Cam Young, Tony Finau, Billy Horschel, Daniel Berger. It's a tough, hey, it's a tough course for kids, but I'll throw him in there because I love kids. Cantley with Joe LaCava on the bag. Brings a ton of major experience. Brings a ton of winning experience. I think that will help Cantley. But for me, he's just not a major champion. He's just not. Until he does it, I just don't believe he will win one. Homa is a different story. Max Homa can win this championship. Colt No says it all the time. There's not a weakness in Max Homa's game. Now, does that mean he's the best at everything across the board? No. But he's consistently 
very good at all the factors of the game. Driving the ball, hitting iron shots, scrambling, uh, bunkers, uh, tee to green, putting. He's very, very consistent, and he's very, very good at all those things. There's not really one that stands out as like, that's his weakness, right? Max Home is a factor here this week, folks. Cam Young's another factor. Guy that can hit it so far, he's been a little bit tested in major championships. Has he come out of it on skates? Absolutely not, right? But he is a factor. Tony Finau is a factor. You know, years ago we were said, yeah, Tony Finau is going to win his first tournament as a major. Yeah, right. He's won a lot of other tournaments. It could be time for Tony Finau. Billy Horschel Unfortunately, he's just not a good major championship player. He's a very good player. He just I think he gets too excited for the majors. Dan Berger is a factor, but I just don't think he's a, a major championship. Major champion. Rosie is always a he's always there on the leaderboards. Fleetwood could be a factor here. I think if Terrell Hatton puts four days together, he could find himself in the mix. And Shane Lowry's a great player. The young guns. Victor Hovland at some point is gonna win one of these. You gotta think he's gonna win one of these. Right? Sam Burns is in the mix. Sung J M, Tom Kim, Saith Tagala, another young gun. And how about the resurgence from these guys? Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, Keegan Bradley. Guys that were in the mix at these major championships ten years ago. Guys that won major championships like ten years ago in Keegan. And then we have some other major championship uh, major champions, Matsuyama, Adam Scott, Jimmy Walker's a PGA championship at Bolt Straw. In Jersey there, and we got Joel Damon, a fan favorite. The 18 live golfers. DJ and Kepka, Cam Smith probably have the best chances to win. Bryson is lost. Phil is out of his mind. Uh, Patrick Reed will probably cheat. As for the other guys, Abe Answer's a nice player. Casey's a good player. Gooch has been having a good season, apparently. Burmeester, Keimer, Kim, Lahiri, Neiman, Pereira, Peter, Steele, Varner, the rest of the live guys. 18 live golfers teeing it up at Okay. All right. Uh, odds, Rahm and Scheffler, co-favorites at 7-1. Rory is technically third choice with second best odds at 11-1 to to win it. Cantley and Kepka share 18-1. JT, DJ, Jason Day at 20. Xander Shoffley and Colin Moore, Cower the group at 22-1. Tony Finau and Cam Young at 25-1. Hovland, Spieth, Homa at 28-1. That's interesting. Fitzpatrick and Cam Smith at 30. Sung J.M. at 35. The group at 40. Hatton, Tom Kim, Taylor Gooch and Sam Burns. Matsuyama's 45 to 1. Reed and Larry are 60 to 1. Adam Scott, Keegan Bradley, Ricky Fowler, and Saith Gala are 65 to 1. And then we have Tommy Fleetwood and Wyndham Clark at 70. And Rosa Neiman at 75. I'm not going higher than that. All right. Picks here. I think Fitz is a really interesting dark horse. I do expect top tens from Morikawa, Jason Day, and Max Homa. I think we get big tournaments from those guys. And honestly, as much as I love to pick one of my guys in Rory and in Jordan Spieth here, I'm going to have to go with Rom. I just think John Rom is in such a great position in his golf career that if he has his A game for at least three out of the four days, he's winning. He's winning this major championship. Um, he's an outstanding player. I think his passion and fire has been um, not necessarily calmed down, but channeled into the right kind of mind space and energy for him. So, for me, John Rahm wins this tournament. And I love my guys in Rory and JT and Spieth and Colin and all my guys, right? 
and they're outstanding, and I'm going to bet them, and I, I believe in that, all these kind of stuff. But John Rom is just out. What does No Laying Up call him? The buoy? Because he's always there. He's always right. He's always, like, he really is. Like, I, as much as I don't love that nickname, and I don't really love No Laying Up, they're okay, but they're kind of snobby, fine, whatever. Um, they're good. I like the, a lot of their content. Don't get me wrong. I follow them. I, I retweet a lot of their memes and stuff, but I'm not in love with the content necessarily, all of it. So I don't like the attitude. I'm sorry. Sorry. Maybe I'm wrong. Listen, I could be wrong about these guys. You could be like, AJ, no laying up is much better than all the content you watch. Fine. Whatever. You can have that opinion. I don't care. Point being, Rom, I think, wins this tournament. I think John Rom wins this tournament. All right, quickly here, some NFL headlines, some Stanley Cup playoffs, some NBA playoffs. Joe Burrow, talking NFL here, his contract extension talk is happening out in the public, out in the media, and apparently it's centered around him taking less so that his guys in a T. Higgins, in a Jamar Chase, and a Tyler Boyd can get their money as well, and guys on the line can get their money, and guys on the defense can get their money. So I think it's really cool from Burrow. Um, a lot of other people being like, no, don't do that, dude. Just get your money and get out. It's like, who the hell really cares about winning at the end of the day when you're 65 and you don't have, you ran out of money or whatever. I don't know. I don't think Joe Burrow's going to run out of money necessarily, but I think he's being a good teammate here. I think he's being a good leader here. I don't necessarily love it as a, if I was his agent or <laughs> maybe in his immediate circle, I'd be like, yo, get all, get every dollar you can, bro. It's a business. But for him, maybe he thinks it's bigger, and he's got a chance to win. He likes the core. He wants to keep a lot of those guys together. And if him taking less gives them more opportunities to keep their guys, well, that's what they're going to do, obviously. Christian McCaffrey says the trade to the 49ers was the best thing that ever happened to him. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Carolina was in a very bad state. Um, it's going to be a project there. McCaffrey certainly wasn't going to resign. So if you're them, you might as well get something for him. Now, did San Francisco give up? It's not necessarily, in my opinion. So I think for the Panthers, they had to do it. They weren't going to resign McCaffrey. And for him to go to a great team, and I understand the quarterback stuff, but they got a loaded roster and a great coach, and they can figure it out at quarterback. It's not like they're out of options at quarterback. They have almost too many options at quarterback. They can't figure it out. So him saying the best thing that ever happened to him was that trade. Makes sense. Cam Jordan wants to sign another deal with the Saints before he's done. I think this is his last year of the new, the current deal. So I think he wants to remain a Saint for life. And if he can sign one more deal, it seems like he would do that. So there you go with that. All right. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. We are headed towards the conference finals. It'll be Florida and Carolina in the East. What a wild turn of events that has been in the east by the way and in the west we got the dallas stars and the vegas golden knights and vegas is since coming into the league i mean they've been great they've been great I, i've only they've only missed the playoffs once if i'm not mistaken so dallas and vegas in the west and florida and carolina in the east should be two fun series in the nhl all right nba miami boston about to get underway here as i record this on uh wednesday night a little behind the scenes of the biz there so that'll be a very interesting series. Rematch. Um, both series are rematch of the bubble. Miami-Boston have had a bunch of good series recently. 
Uh, a lot of great players. Jimmy Butler and crew in Miami with Bam, with Kyle Lowry, with some of the shooters. Yeah, Tyler Hero being out sucks. He's a he's one of my favorite players. Um, with his game trans, uh, transition from Kentucky to the league, I was like, that guy can play. Duncan Robinson, you know how great he is as a shooter. So, he'd have guys, but the Celtics have the guy in Tatum. If Tatum is the best player on the floor, Celtics win the series. If Jimmy Butler is the best player on the floor, this thing is on till 7. Because you know if he's the best player on the floor, he's willing his team. He's willing his team. So, I think we get a great series, even though Miami is the eight seed. They got a ton of playoff experience, and they got a great coach in Spo. And Jimmy Butler is just that type of dude. He's that type of warrior um, that he will not let his team give up. So Celtics have interesting matchup stuff with who's going to guard Bam. Do they keep Al Horford out there for a long shot? But with Brown, with Tatum, they're really, really good. And in the West... Lakers, Nuggets, Nuggets win game one behind a Jokic triple-double. The Nuggets had been a big, good fight by the Lakers to get back into the game there, third quarter into the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken. But Nuggets take game one, and they're going to need, the Lakers are going to need bigger efforts from LeBron. They're going to need bigger efforts from Anthony Davis. And they're going to need those efforts and the other guys to step up because uh, they, Jokic is too much. Like, even Anthony Davis is like, come on, dude, really? So if Murray and Michael Porter Jr. step up for the Nugs and Jokic is getting double-doubles or triple-doubles, whatever he's getting, it could be a short series for the Lakers. Could be a short series for the Lakers. That's for sure. All right. So um, that is the show. We have uh, Champions League final set for a few weeks. In Istanbul, it will be Man City and Inter Milan. Week before that, we got an FA Cup final with Manchester United and Man City. Week before that is Championship Sunday. And the week before that is this weekend. So all these events and more coming right down the pipeline shortly for um, this spring championship season, as they call it. I guess NBC calls it that. I shouldn't say that. That's their stuff. So, All right. Anyway, um, hope you enjoyed the Champions League. PJ Championship, we'll recap it all on Tuesday's show. We'll recap all the weekend footy as well and look ahead to the final week of the season in league play. So have a great weekend. Enjoy the nice weather if it's there. I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Until then, peace. That's the name of it? Guys, check out his podcast. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.